The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. December 29 edition, last PFT PM podcast ever. Not really. Keep doing it. Still don't know where it's going to go, but I like doing it. It's an hour or less, maybe less, hopefully less, of me just talking about whatever, answering your Twitter questions, topics of the day, everything that's happened worth discussing since PFT Live goes off the air at 9 a.m. Eastern. Going to get through some of the headlines that have emerged today. I'll look at some of the hot spots where coaches could lose their jobs. And we'll do a quick Week 17 preview. Not every game. And I'm not going to go on and on like I am doing now. About each game. And then we're going to rip through your questions. And as I tape this, I have literally one hour. See, I think what I need to start doing is scheduling something at a specific time, starting this an hour before that thing, which ensures I'll shut the hell up and we can all move on with our lives. But if you are listening to all of it, even when it does drone on beyond an hour, I do appreciate that. At least I know I'm not wasting my time. If there's one person out there, just one, maybe two, I'm going for ten. If you listen to all of it every day, I appreciate it. If you listen to all of it any day, if you're listening right now, I appreciate you. The Jets appreciate their coach and GM. That was one of the hot spots people have been watching. I thought Todd Bowles did enough to stick around. Every coach, every team has expectations going into the season. They develop over the course of time the observations of the media figures who study the team both locally and nationally, the sense among the fan base, you get an idea of what a team's going to be. And what we thought the Jets were going to be this year was ass. And they were better than sign ass. Better than sign double poop emoji. Five and ten, could have won a few more. A lot of speculation recently about Todd Bowles. I thought he was safe, hadn't heard it, didn't know what the new owner Christopher Johnson was going to do about it. The new day-to-day owner, Woody Johnson, still has the paper. He's got the pink slip, but he's indisposed because he's the U.S. ambassador to the Court of St. James for the learned. Also known as the ambassador to United Kingdom, Britain, England. I don't know. I get them all mixed up. Somewhere over there in the general direction of the northern part of Is it Europe? I guess it counts as Europe, even though it's not part of the main continent. What the hell am I talking about? Todd Bowles and Mike McCagnin both are staying. That's news. That was announced by the team. Not announced by Washington yet, but reported by someone who works for all 32 teams. 
NFL media owned by the league, operated by the league. Anytime there's a report from someone with NFL media, I assume it's an announcement from the league. Jay Gruden, the Washington coach, is safe. There was also a report, I think it was Mike Lombardi, the former NFL front office executive, that Washington is trying to extend some of the contracts of the coaches who work with Gruden. Now, with that franchise in particular, negotiating contracts for assistance wouldn't necessarily be a sign that the head coach is safe, but a reasonable team would be operating in that fashion. Team's been a disappointment under Gruden. Four seasons, one playoff berth. This year just felt like a regression. I don't know what's happened to Daniel Snyder in the last 20 years. He would have meddled his way into a coaching change by now. I don't know if he's mellowed. I don't know if he's just come to accept that those three Super Bowl trophies are going to have to have to be good enough for a while longer beyond the last 26 years. At least you don't have to worry about making space for a fourth trophy. It could be a pain in the ass. The ultimate first world problem. The Patriots, where in the hell are we going to put this next trophy? And we know they've already dealt with that. Where do we put the damn banner? They had to reconfigure the stadium for their fifth freaking banner. They won't have to worry about making space for the fourth banner in Washington anytime soon. Now they got to figure out what they're going to do with Kirk Cousins. $34.47 million for one more year under the franchise tag. Transition tag, which would give them a right to match, but would also guarantee Cousins, if he signs the tender, $28 million for one more year. Or let him hit the market. That doesn't mean he hits the road. You still have the exclusive right to negotiate with him until free agency opens. But if he wants to go, he can go. And he'll know what's behind door number two before Washington makes their final offer. And it's just been a mess. The Broncos, some believe, are eyeing Kirk Cousins. And he had a chance to audition for them over the weekend, and it went pretty well for Cousins. In Houston, a report from the Chronicle of an ongoing toxic relationship between Coach Bill O'Brien and GM Rick Smith. And that's not something new. The question was whether or not having a young franchise quarterback would make things better. I don't know if this analogy works, but what the hell? It's like a couple who's having issues in their marriage, serious issues, and they think having a kid is going to make it better. It may make it better at first. It's just going to magnify the issues. So the Bill O'Brien, Rick Smith child, Deshaun Watson, not enough to turn around a poisonous relationship. Last year, it was O'Brien who was believed to want out. Now this year, the ball seems to be in ownership's court. O'Brien's not going to quit and walk away from another year of salary. I can't help but wonder whether this is a situation where O'Brien wants to be fired. The Texans want him to quit. Nobody's doing anything. They're going to sit back and play out this contract. And then a year from now, the conversation will be, do they sign him to a new deal or they go hire someone else? And from Bob McNair's perspective, now, look, we assume these owners know what they're doing. That's a bad assumption in some cities. I hope McNair isn't thinking, I don't want to pay Bill O'Brien to not coach the team. And I'd rather have a year where whoever the next coach is isn't coaching the team, or I miss an opportunity to get a coach. You know, maybe this isn't a good year to be 
hiring a coach because there's too many other teams out there with good quarterbacks. However, I'd like to think the Texans provide the best opportunity because I think Deshaun Watson is going to be pretty damn good, and I think a lot of other people agree with me. We reported earlier today that there is a growing sense within the league that John Gruden is coming back and coaching the Buccaneers. Now, look, everyone has been tight-lipped in recent weeks, and I think that that's a sign that something's up. The last time John Gruden said anything was three weeks ago. There was some media event in Tampa, and as I understand it, there was an effort to reach out discreetly to some people who recover the team. Hey, you may want to show up at this thing. John may have something to say. And all he said was, well, I can't control the reports. And all I know is I'm trying to keep the job I have, blah, blah, blah. Didn't say he's definitely staying at ESPN. Didn't say he's leaving. Just a reminder that I'm here. Now, since then, quiet. And in past years when there has been rumor, speculation, discussion about Gruden possibly leaving... There, by now, has been a statement released from ESPN announcing the Gruden contract has been extended. That hasn't happened this year. And I've heard whispers that ESPN, and this wouldn't be a shock if it's happening, squeezing the cojones of John Gruden to get him to take less money. And why wouldn't you? When his contract was negotiated, ESPN had a hell of a lot more subscribers. The ratings for Monday Night Football were a hell of a lot larger And now, as that property subsides at ESPN, and as ESPN generally has financial problems to the point where they're laying off a lot of people, one of your highest paid employees, at some point, you got to consider the possibility of getting someone else who can do the job almost as well for a hell of a lot less money. And my guess is that there are plenty of agents who are constantly calling ESPN, offering the services of potentially intriguing options to serve as the primary analyst on Monday Night Football. If Gruden's in, that means Dirk Cutter's out. And, you know, we know how the Tampa Bay Buccaneers do things. We've seen it since Gruden was fired. That was a surprise firing nine years ago. Raheem Morris, three years. Greg Schiano, two years. Lovey Smith, two years. And now two years with Dirk Cutter. And, you know, to their credit, they're willing to acknowledge a mistake. I don't know that... They're right in their assessment. I don't think they should have moved on from Lovey Smith. But once they know that in their mind it's not working, why continue? Why have that extra awkward year like they may have in Houston? If it's not working, let's move on. There's plenty of money to pay one year of salary for a coach, especially because coaches are still making far less than they should be, particularly in comparison to players. Other hot spots to consider and which we will be watching over the course of the next couple of days. You know, they call it Black Monday, but folks, last year, we had a six-hour edition of PFT Live, locked and loaded. We weren't on TV that day for some reason, but we did radio. Three hours live, and then instead of the re-air of the program, which typically happens, we did another three hours live. And there wasn't another coach fired. We were ready to react in real time. We were good to go. We had our water, we had our our vitamins, we had our quick path to the bathroom during the breaks that are available. We were ready, and it was six hours of nothing, except, except using that path back and forth to the men's room on a couple of occasions. This year, by the way, PFT Live will air on radio only 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern 
I'm not doing six hours. I had to convince them to let me to do the three because it's New Year's Day and the thinking is not a lot of people listen to the radio. Well, but if some people do, then we're giving them something that's new and fresh. It's the day after the 17th Sunday of the season. You have to have a show. We'll have a show. As this show continues, and as I was mentioning, the other hot spots to watch. Cincinnati, we know about. Marvin Lewis, what's he going to do? His contract's expiring. What really struck me was within the past couple of weeks, he was addressing the media about his future. He was saying one thing. His demeanor was saying, I know exactly what I'm going to do, and I'm at peace with it. So we'll see what it is. Could he graduate to the front office in a place like Cincinnati and a guy like Hugh Jackson becomes the coach? We had heard that the Bengals were interested in either Hugh Jackson or Jay Gruden. Jay Gruden, if he's staying in Washington, that takes him out of the mix, obviously, unless Washington's in some clumsy effort to try to provoke trade talks and they'll fire Jay Gruden later if Cincinnati doesn't call. If this is all trumped up to try to get the Bengals to offer something for a guy they're going to fire anyway, I doubt it. You can't screw around trying to get a fourth-round draft pick If you're going to change coaches, you better change coaches quickly, and you better get in the process of trying to find your next coach. In Cleveland, they lose Sunday to the Steelers. And you know what? They're going to have a chance to win because the Steelers apparently aren't going to play some key players. Deshaun Kaiser versus Ben Roethlisberger, that's a slaughter. That's a Cornell Hofstra slaughter. You throw Landry Jones out there instead of Roethlisberger. You put Le'Veon Bell on the sidelines. You bench other key players. Browns have a chance. If they lose 0-16, there's still a belief John Dorsey, the new GM, is going to make a run at convincing ownership to reverse course and let him hire his own coach. In Indianapolis, Chuck Pagano is done, barring something dramatic, a burst of sentimentality from owner Jim Ursay, who decides he just can't bring himself to say goodbye to Chuck Pagano after six seasons. Two years ago, he had a chance to let Pagano go with no further financial obligation. Remember what a weird day that was? Pagano and Ursay and then GM Ryan Grigson go into a room all day and they emerge arm in arm with new contracts for everybody. And a year later, it was Grigson that hit the road. Now Chris Ballard's the GM. He's going to want to hire his own coach. And it just feels like it's time for Pagano to move on. And I know Pagano had his hands tied this year by the Andrew Luck situation. But you know what? The body of work makes it clear it's time to move on. In Tennessee, if they don't make it to the playoffs, from 8-4 and four to 8-7 and seven and possibly 8-8, eight and, eight, and if they don't make it to the playoffs, we have to watch and wait and see whether or not Mike Malarkey's out. There's a thought that maybe he will be. If the Titans beat the Jaguars on Sunday, it's all academic. They're in. And Malarkey presumably is safe, although someone raised with me the possibility today of Malarkey still being in trouble even if they make it to the playoffs. And he wouldn't be the first coach fired who makes it to the playoffs and then loses in the playoffs and then loses his job. That would not be unprecedented. Did that happen with with John Fox, remember? A couple of years ago? They made it to the playoffs and John Elway was upset that they didn't go out kicking and screaming. So Fox was let go. Speaking of the Broncos, Vance Joseph, eight losses by double digits, four by 20 or more points. John Elway has specifically complained about the lack of competitiveness from time to time this year. The team, he referred to them as soft at one point. 
I think he already knows what he's going to do. Now, look, this Sunday's game may be confirmation. If the Broncos show up and play poorly against a rookie quarterback in Patrick Mahomes, and now the Chiefs aren't going to play Tyreek Hill, I bet other key players won't play much, if at all. The Chiefs are locked in as the four seed. There's no point getting guys injured when you don't have a bye. They can't even begin to think about who they're going to play. they got four possible teams for two wildcard berths in the AFC. Chiefs don't know who they're playing. Wildcard round. Jaguars at least have some influence because if they beat the Titans, that potentially or likely knocks them out. So if the Broncos can't beat a Chiefs team that really isn't trying, that's all the more reason to move on. Or if John Elway looks around the stadium, Vandalay Industries Stadium in Denver, and sees no one there. Confirmation of the decision to move on. With the Raiders, I was told a week ago, 50-50 on Jack Del Rio. And look, I will admit that from time to time, I have made fun of those who would say, basically 50-50. Someone's going to be fired unless he isn't. But that's what it was. Now, Todd Downing, the offensive coordinator, widely believed to be out. And Jack Del Rio spoke about Downing this week and said, you know, it's been rough, but praised him, but never said he'll be back next year. And maybe Del Rio isn't completely sure he's going to be back next year. But he got an extension. Look, one thing we've learned about these extensions, they're not like they used to be in many cases. The guarantee doesn't go for the life of the deal. That was the Rex extension of a few years ago. All the talk about Rex's future. Is he out? Is he out? Is he out? Oh, he got an extension. Yeah. So he got fired the next year. Chicago, John Fox, it's become a foregone conclusion that he's out. We raised the question last night, how high up the ladder do the Bears go? Is Ryan Pace out? And I think at one point I made the comment that Pace hired John Fox and one of these former media, no, former front office types who work in the media, these are bitter folks, man. Some of these people, they got fired and they're not getting back in and they just want to throw rocks. I mean, I'm bitter just because I'm bitter and petty. Maybe it's better to have a reason. Maybe it's better to not have a reason. Just be bitter and petty. Just be that Just be that guy. Don't have a reason for it that everyone can figure out. But this, okay, uh, did Ryan Pace officially and technically hire John Fox? That's not the point. The point is, does Pace get a second head coach before he's gone? General managers often get a second head coach, whether they officially are the ones who hire the coach or not. Will Pace get that second chance? Phil Emery didn't. He got one coach on his watch, Mark Tressman. They both got run out the door. Will it be Fox and Pace? Does Pace get to stay because of Mitchell Trubisky? And when will they go one level higher to Ted Phillips, the team president, only the fourth president in franchise history, the first and only team president who was not a member of the Hallis family? Phillips has been the team president since 1999, and they've been to the playoffs four times. Four times since 1999. Now, Bills fans would say, we'll take it. But man, that's not a stellar run for a team that fancies itself one of the bedrock franchises in the NFL. And yes, they went to the Super Bowl. And yes, they got to an NFC Championship game. I mean, when they get to the playoffs, they do well. But four times since 1999. And no indication, no reason to believe that the the firing line goes up to that level, but I don't know, maybe maybe walks away. I don't know. I don't, I don't know anything which would make this day no different than any others. Lions and Coach Jim Caldwell, he got the Rex tension, as we now know. Is he out after this year? 
ownership and GM Bob Quinn were unwilling to address the situation after the loss that knocked them out of the playoffs. Not a good sign. And a marketable job. You got Matthew Stafford. Let's go. Team still hasn't won a playoff game since 1991. They've been to the playoffs several times since 2011, but they haven't won a playoff game since 1991. Arizona, we don't know what's going to happen with Bruce Arians. The reports have continued, and they're all over the place. Pick a report. Somebody's going to be right, ultimately. The truth may be that Arians himself doesn't know what he's going to do, and he's not going to make any decisions until he gets through the season. A single-minded focus on getting through the season. A desire not to be a distraction for your team. It's about the team. It's not about me. Even though Bruce Arians is kind of a flamboyant guy, I think he's old school when it comes to it ain't about me. It's about the team. And once the season's over, it'll be about me as it relates to me figuring out what I'm going to do. But I don't want anyone making a big deal about it. I don't want anybody acting like I'm dying. When I'm gone, I'm gone. You're not going to know before I'm gone. Just one day I'm going to be gone. You know, I kind of like that approach. That's how I want to go out. Now, one way to do that would be to just drop dead. I don't want to have some long, convoluted, I've got a year left. Let's enjoy slash bemoan the last year. Let's have a countdown to the moment that I'm gone. I'm not knocking anyone else who has done that recently. It's just not my style. Yeah, I can be an asshole. I try to make things entertaining and interesting, but ultimately, I I try to. I try. As I make it about me, I try to not make it about me. How about that? I'm spending time talking about me, making things not about me. I just kind of straight into this rabbit hole because I'm thinking, how would I want to go out? I don't want it to be a big deal. I don't want to do a victory lap or a farewell tour, or as the case may be, a walk of shame where people throw cabbages and tomatoes at me. When I'm done, I'm done. I kind of like that. When I'm done, I'm done. When I get to a point where I've had enough, see you later. It's been fun. Now, look, out of fairness to the audience, do you detach that quickly? I don't know. I got to think all this through. Not that I'm thinking about leaving anytime soon. God, this is pathetic. One more thing. Speaking of things that are pathetic, at least this is what Packers fans would say toward me, because it seems like every year I put Mike McCarthy at or near the hot seat. Everyone asks me, what's the surprise this year? I don't know, but it would be a surprise if the Packers say enough with Mike McCarthy. If the Packers say you know what, Aaron Rodgers is 34. We don't know how much time he has left. We want to do what we can to get this guy back to the Super Bowl a time or two. He's only been to one. So far, overall, a disappointment in comparison to what Rodgers is as a quarterback is now the time to make a move to upgrade. Wouldn't that be something? That would shake up everything. Hey, John Gruden, before you sign a contract with the Buccaneers, you may want to go to Green Bay. That job comes open, oh my goodness. Now, look, the Packers will probably do some, I don't know, conservative, non-flashy thing. We'll see, though. I don't want to get ahead of myself. If there is a surprise, what would be a surprise, once we assume that the ones we've talked about wouldn't be a surprise, it would be a surprise if Mike McCarthy is out. All right, let's rip through, shall we, the Week 17 games. One observation for each game and none observations for some of the games. For example, Washington and the Giants, who cares? Although, 
Here's an observation. The players know who the GM is. Maybe they, maybe they play a little harder in this one. Now we know who the next boss is going to be. Let's impress him before he makes decisions about who stays and who goes. Here's a second observation. Got him. Being very dishonest today. Keep an eye on Jim Schwartz. I wrote about this at PFT. Keep an eye on Jim Schwartz. I think the Giants are, like other teams have done in the past, they know exactly what they're going to do. They're creating the impression it's an open and inclusive search. They wanted Dave Gettleman. I think they want Jim Schwartz. Based upon things I've heard, I think they want Jim Schwartz. And the fact that the Eagles defense gave up 504 yards to the Giants a couple of weeks ago may not be a great selling point. But the other side of that coin, it's going to be hard for Schwartz to come in and make the argument that we need to get rid of Eli Manning. Because anytime he does, anyone in the building who wants Eli Manning just has to kind of raise their eyes and say, uh, you know, look at what he did to your defense. So keep an eye on that one. Sorry, my wife just texted me. I have to respond. Trying to figure out when we're going to have dinner. Full transparency. All right. Jets, Patriots. Patriots have tripped in the past over division rivals en route to a number one seed. I don't think they'll do it again. They're not on the road. But they need to be careful. They need to be on guard. Although it may not matter because it feels like the Steelers are conceding it. Because if the Patriots lose and the Steelers lose, the Patriots are still the number one seed. I'd be shocked if they blow this one. Chris Sims pointed out earlier today on PFT Live that there was a cockiness to the Patriots a couple of years ago. And, and, and an ambivalence to playing the Broncos at home or on the road. They thought they were good enough to win in either place. And you know what? When you think about that Broncos team from two years ago, I could see why teams would think that. And that's a lesson not just to the Patriots. How about the teams in the NFC that are looking down their noses at the Eagles? Be careful. They may pull it together. They got home field advantage. That may be the difference. Packers-Lions, who cares? Texans-Colts. Andrew Luck spoke to the media today. He says he's going to be ready to go in 2018 from the get-go. At Old Takes Exposed. Write it down. Let's see. Browns-Steelers already mentioned this one. Steelers seem to be willing to concede the one seed. I'm shocked they'd be willing to concede the only one of the season for the Cleveland Browns. Do you really want one of the legacy items in Pittsburgh to be that the year the Browns were 0-15 and could have gone 0-16, they got their one win at Heinz Field. Do you really want that stink on Heinz Field? Maybe you do. Cowboys, Eagles, who cares? Although Nick Foles apparently is going to play the whole game. Putting him at risk. Demarcus Lawrence comes around the corner. Hits him low, but not too low. Injures him. Foles got thrown down on the ground Monday and like banged up his, looked like he banged up his elbows and he was walking kind of funny. You get him hurt and it's Nate Sudfeld in the playoffs. Good luck. Have fun. Still wouldn't sign Colin Kaepernick, I assume. 49ers Rams. This one fascinates me. I wrote about this today and I've gotten some feedback that makes me feel like it is 100% accurate that the Rams, who currently are the three seed, they prefer to be the four seed. For two reasons. First, if you're the four seed, you get the Panthers, most likely, instead of the Falcons or the Seahawks. And I think this comes down to Panthers versus Falcons. And look at the two teams. Yes, the Panthers have Cam Newton. They've got some cornerstone players on defense. They're capable of beating you. And they have a better record than the Falcons. But the Falcons have the dynamic offense with all those pieces, all those parts. Look at Devin Funches. All due respect to Devin Funches, what would he be on the depth chart in Atlanta? Three? Four? Three? Maybe four. Probably three. Look at the running backs. Eh, no disrespect to Jonathan Stewart and Christian McCaffrey, but Devontae Freeman, the way he ran that Monday night against the Buccaneers, oh my God. 
I think there's a greater fear out there of the Falcons in a single elimination setting, assuming they can hold a fourth quarter lead. Yeah, I, yeah. Sorry, Falcons fans. Look, twenty-eight to three, man. It doesn't go away in a year. I don't know what the shelf life is of someone making fun of the Falcons' chronic inability to hold fourth quarter leads, but it's less than one full calendar year. That's for damn sure. So the Rams, and go back and look at the story. I really do think they want to be the three seed, not the four seed, the three seed, the four seed. Because then, assuming three beats six, four goes to one. One is the Eagles. The only flaw, flaw or fly in that ointment or flaw, is it, what's the phrase? Is it fly, stats? Where are you, stats? Fly in the ointment. The only flaw, fly in the ointment is if you're four and the Saints are three, look back to 2006. The Colts were three. The Patriots were four. The Colts went to Baltimore and beat number two. The Patriots went to San Diego and beat number one. Yada, yada, yada. Colts host the AFC championship game. Pats had to go on the road. So, the Rams better be careful what they wish for. Because if you get the four seed and you get the Panthers and you beat the Panthers and you get to go to Philly and you beat the Eagles, if the Saints beat the sixth seed and the Saints beat the Vikings, uh uh-oh, you're going on the road when you would have been at home. So think this one through, Rams, before you throw the game on Sunday against the 49ers. I said these were going to be quick observations. Raiders, Chargers, Black Hole South. Will it be enough for a game that means nothing to the Raiders? Chargers still trying to get to the playoffs. Four spots in the AFC. Chargers, Titans, Ravens, Bills all alive. I'm thinking it's going to be Chargers, Ravens, but what the hell do I know? That would mean the Chargers win the game. And they had their chance to beat the Chiefs a couple of weeks ago and try to win the division. I was disappointed. Not that I was rooting. I just I was predicting. You you root for your predictions. I thought the Chargers were going to win the division after that slow start. And uh, they kind of fell apart. It's a great story, too. I root for a great story. And an 0-4 team catching fire and making it to the playoffs. Remember what I was rooting for? I was rooting for the Chargers being the three-seed or the four-seed. It would have been the four-seed and hosting the Ravens, a wild-card team, in the AFC Championship game in a 27,000-seat stadium. That's what I was holding out hope for. Alas, it probably won't happen because the Chargers, what, they'd probably be the sixth seed. A five and six. I doubt there's been a five and a six seed that make it through all the way to the conference championship. Chiefs-Broncos, we already talked about that one. Patrick Mahomes versus a Broncos team that would like to close out the year in style and maybe save Vance Joseph's job, although I think it's an uphill climb at this point. Jaguars-Titans. Jaguars playing for nothing. Titans playing for a playoff berth. Jaguars need to knock the Titans out. You don't want a team from your division rolling into your stadium in the postseason. They're not intimidated by you. They know how to play there. They play there every year. There's not that same aura that there would otherwise be. Saints-Bucks. Saints are in that same three-seed, four-seed deal. And they know the Panthers and the Falcons. They swept both of them. But you know what? I think the Falcons gave the Saints a harder time. So, I don't know. Look, the Saints need to win because if they win, they win the division. If they lose and the Panthers win, the Panthers win the division. The Panthers could still be the number two seed. We'll talk about that game coming up. Bills-Dolphins. Bills need a win to stay alive for the playoff chase. The Dolphins. I just, look, I feel like I did a couple of weeks ago when they beat the Patriots. I think the Dolphins want to show people that next year will be different. And also, this may be Jay Cutler's last game. 
I think the Dolphins beat the Bills. Cardinals, Seahawks. Seahawks still alive. I don't know how dangerous they'll be in the playoffs because they're a different team away from home. But boy, they'd be a fascinating team. This fits that narrative. You've got the top three teams in the NFC right now. The Eagles, the Vikings, and the Rams. Not much playoff experience, especially at key positions of quarterback. Coaches don't have a lot of experience in huge games. And you've got the seeds after that, four, five, and six. And you throw in seven if the Seahawks would make it. Saints, Panthers, Falcons, Seahawks, all teams that have been to the Super Bowl, quarterbacks who have played in the Super Bowl, two quarterbacks in the Seahawks quarterback, Russell Wilson, and the Saints quarterback, Drew Brees, who have won Super Bowls. Their coaches, Pete Carroll, and uh, um, what's the other one? Sean Payton. <laughs> I should know this name. I'm sorry. It's uh, I'm, I, now, now my wife's at the, at the pharmacy. I got to respond to her quickly. I need allergy medication. I'm sure you're all very thrilled to know that. Sean Payton and Pete Carroll both have Super Bowl wins. It's it's a bottom-heavy field in the NFC. Panthers-Falcons. I picked the Panthers in this one. The more I think about it, I think the Falcons are going to win. And if the Falcons win, they're in. The Panthers win. They could end up winning the division and ending up as high as the number two seed. The Falcons, they embrace having the 425 p.m. Eastern kickoff. They're all in. Dan Quinn loves it. Conversely, and this is the last game of the weekend, Bengals-Ravens. John Harbaugh, the coach in Baltimore, was salty when his game got moved to 425 p.m. They're concerned that there'll be more no-shows. You know, they've had an issue this year with no-shows. They try to blame it on one national anthem protest that was staged in London, not on the fact that their team is boring. And really, look, the Ravens may win the Super Bowl, but no one is going to call them the greatest show on turf. They're boring. They win. They're going to make it to the playoffs, apparently. I think they will. And I think they're going to be trouble for the Patriots and the Steelers. Or the Patriots or the Steelers or both. Maybe they beat both of them. Wouldn't that be a story? I like a good story. I'll take that story. Ravens beating both the Steelers and the Patriots. It doesn't change the fact that they're boring. Maybe that's why you got no-shows in Baltimore this year. Maybe your team just didn't all that interesting. The Falcons, much more interesting. And it's a new stadium. It's like a New Year's Eve party in Atlanta. And you're indoors, right? In Baltimore, you want to go freeze your ass off on New Year's Day at 425 p.m. Eastern when it gets even colder? So I understand why John Harbaugh is upset. I understand why Dan Quinn isn't. And both teams in if they win. All right, time to unwrap the questions for today's PFT Live. I have not looked at any of these, as far as anyone knows. Oh, now I see this. The Buccaneers have reportedly told Dirk Cutter he will return for the 2018 season. I guess that means John Gruden is not coming back. Unless they're just saying Dirk, to Dirk Cutter what they want him to hear. Would this be the first time ownership has said to a coach, everything's fine, right before it isn't? I'm not ready. I'm not ready to... To put complete stock in that one. Hey, Dirk, you'll be back for 2018. January 1 of 2018. All right, time to answer some questions. And as soon as the tweet loads, I will. See, sometimes you have trouble unwrapping the present here. Let me try this again. Got to refresh the page. Having a little internet issue here. All right. Got 30 in here. I got 20 minutes. Let's see how many we can get to. 
at ends Thursday, where's the podcast from today's PFT Live? That's a good question. I will take that up with Rob Stats Guerrera. I noticed earlier I did not see the podcast from today's PFT Live. We will rectify that ASAP. I've got a couple people asking that. Where is Stats, you idiot, the PFT Live podcast from today? Did I mention you are an idiot, you idiot? All right, idiot. That takes care of a couple. That several people are asking. I, I appreciate the fact very much that you're clamoring for the PFT Live podcast. We do get thousands, tens of thousands. I guess we could even say hundreds of thousands of downloads of the PFT Live podcast, if only the PFT PM podcast could perform at a similar level. At Reverend Mark Worth, what is your favorite New Year's tradition? Hashtag see you in 2018. I don't have any. I don't. You know, the pots and pans thing, we've done that. Shooting off some big-ass fireworks, we've done that. There isn't something that we do each and every year. And one thing I don't do and won't do, New Year's resolutions. Well, You know, you're starting a new year. You're going to start a new year on a guilt trip, feeling bad. You should feel good going into a new year. In the new year, I resolve not to eat chocolate. In the new year, I resolve no longer to drink whiskey. In the new year, I resolve to get up every morning before noon. I mean... Why do you want to put that on yourself to start a new year? With all that said, I did make a New Year's resolution, and it will be 14 years ago that I made this resolution. And there's a certain irony to the fact that I'm bitching about New Year's resolutions, but one of the best moves I ever made in this business was making and sticking with a resolution. I had started PFT in November of 2001, and I was practicing law full-time at the time. And, you know, it, it, it was kind of like there. And, you know, I'd work on it every morning. And some days I wouldn't work on it at all. Some weekends I would just kind of let it go. I mean, these were a different period of days in the Internet. It wasn't the constant refresh, 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 and check Twitter and do that. We weren't as obsessed with our cell phone devices. Think about what our cell phones were like back then in 2002, 2003. Right? Could you even get the internet then? That was before the flip phone, the razor phone. So there wasn't the same urgency or capacity. So I wouldn't work on it every day. At or about the end of the year in 2003, and I don't know whether I had this epiphany on the 31st, the 30th, the 29th, who knows. I said, here's what I'm doing. Starting in 2004, I am going to work on profootballtalk.com every day. With no days off. First of all, it's not that hard. I mean, it's not like I'm breaking rocks, right? It's not like I'm working up a sweat. I'm sitting on my ass. Usually while I have the TV on. So I'm, I'm doing something. Like, I'm too fidgety. Like, working on the website gives me a way to not be fidgety. Because if I try to sit and watch TV, I fidget the whole damn time. So anyway, it was one New Year's resolution that I made that I didn't feel bad about, that I embraced, and I stuck with it. And 14 years later... Unbroken streak. Chris Sims is amazed about this, and he thinks I'm lying. 14 years later, have not taken a day off, and again, it's not really work. So, now that I have crapped upon the concept of New Year's resolutions, generally, let me say, there may be one specific one out there that you make at some point that changes your life, because that one did. You know what? My New Year's resolution for 2018 is to reconsider my position on New Year's resolutions. Next question at Bucks 109. 
when will Gruden be named the Buccaneers head coach who will go along with the Rooney Rule interview knowing that Gruden's getting the job? Well, apparently, if ownership is telling the truth to Dirk Cutter, Cutter will be back. I, I still have a hard time believing that one. Based on all the smoke that's out there, all the steam that's out there, I have a hard time believing that ownership is telling the truth. I'm not saying they didn't tell Dirk Cutter he's going to be back. And I think, frankly, I don't want to give ourselves too much credit here. The fact that we went public today with this notion that there's a growing sense in league circles that Gruden is coming back, and that's true, that's accurate. Look, I was careful not to report that he's coming back. I don't know if he's coming back. But you have people, you have people with other teams who are monitoring this saying Gruden's coming back. Right? He's contacting assistants. He's coming back. So this is either throw water on the fire in the hopes of it not becoming a full-blown conflagration and becoming a complete and total distraction to Sunday's game, or they're telling the truth. I, I tend to think they're just trying to kick the can and get through Sunday. You know, I'm not going to be the Alabama coach. Let's just leave it at that. At... Oh, another question. Thank you for being curious about the AM podcast. Stats says, let me investigate. P.S. I'm not an idiot. At ends Thursday, with all the problems with decentralized replay, do you think the entire scheme should be scrapped and control given back to the officials on the field? I, I think that they need to do something. I don't know that having the officials on the field. Now, are you saying get rid of replay altogether? I don't know. Having the official at the game site, handle the replay review. The problem with that is you got 16 different people on any given weekend, 17 different crews interpreting the standard and applying the standard differently. Look at the difference between Dean Blandino and Al Riveron. They went with centralized replay because they wanted to have Dean Blandino in position to nudge the referees at the game site toward making the right call, toward respecting the ruling on the field, toward applying the clear and obvious evidence standard. It used to be indisputable visual evidence indisputable think about that the, the the language is the same clear and obvious maybe they should go back to indisputable visual evidence what does indisputable means it means no one can dispute it on this there can be no debate we have too many of these calls where you can have a debate austin safarian jenkins it can be disputed that he got the ball back before he rolled out of the end zone and they made a touchdown into a touchback. Zach Miller, it can be disputed that the ball didn't touch the ground when he had a touchdown on the play where his leg dislocated, knee dislocated. The list goes on and on. Calvin Benjamin, it can be disputed that he had two feet down plus control of the ball. So it has to be indisputable. It has to be guy jumps up at the sideline, catches the ball in the air, left foot lands inbounds, right foot lands out of bounds, no dispute. Maybe that's an easy fix. Go back to indisputable visual evidence. Because I guess what's clear and obvious to one person may not be clear and obvious to another. Indisputable is a stronger word. And I like saying it. I think there's also other things they can consider. Maybe you have... I I don't know. Look, there are some other ideas out there. And I've heard of them. And I didn't think of them. And I don't want to sell them as my own ideas. I'm going to wait till the people who have these ideas present these ideas publicly, and then we'll take it up. But there's some other ideas for making this better. What I do is bring back Dean Blandino. God, what an interview that was. Not that I was asking great questions, although, you know, I did. I did. Look, I got a little bit out of him. You got to give a little credit to the guy asking the questions. I got, I'm concerned about you, Henry. You may fold under questioning. Blandino didn't fold. Blandino, what a skill. And this gets back to why he's so good at that job. 
He can communicate in a way that is honest and accurate and transparent, but also tactful and diplomatic and appropriate. The stuff he said about the league not valuing the position, it didn't seem or sound controversial as he said it. He was being honest. He was being candid. He was being open. And I bet there's some people who are pissed off at 345 Park Avenue about the message. But that's the the level of communicator you need to be. Al Riveron has two key roles. Run the replay standard properly. And two, communicate, communicate, communicate to the media and the fans. Cause people to have faith in the process. And as of right now, I hate to say it, but they don't. At some days, the dog, which teams non-firing of a head coach would surprise you the most? Well, if they're sticking with Dirk Cutter in Tampa, that would surprise me the most because it sure feels like and felt like he's out and Gruden's in. And even if Gruden's not in, you look at the track record of the Tampa Bay ownership. I'm surprised they're sticking with Dirk Cutter for another year. At Jordan 2020, how do I become the GM of the New York Bets? What are you, Jets? New York Bets, New York Jets. What are you, George Costanza? I screwed up my joke by not getting the name of the freaking team right. At Lucas Gravenat, honestly, what do you think of the Harrison statement? Who do you believe more, him or all the other players? I believe everyone. I believe that James Harrison did some things that were calculated to get him out of Pittsburgh. And I believe that the Steelers probably put up with him longer than they should have, probably out of some warped sense of respect to him. But once he says, let me go, if you have respect for him, you let him go. He should have asked to get out before the trade deadline. He took the chance he was going to get claimed on waivers by the Browns or some other team that's not destined for the playoffs, and his season was going to be over as of Sunday. I think that there's probably a lot of truth in everything. You know that, and not as extreme, but that inevitable sitcom device where there's an episode that one of the characters claims that one of the other characters did something like very egregious and over the top and they tell this story and they they act out the story of one character's version and then they act out the story from the other character's perspective and it's night and day and then they play out the truth works out well in a half hour show with three segments that fill up about 10 minutes each with commercials. One person's version out of the box, the other person's version in the second act, and then you finish with the truth. First time I ever saw that was All in the Family. And I thought it was great the first time I saw it. Feels like every series that has made it more than three or four years at some point plays that game, at some point checks that box, at some point takes the easy way out. That or the clip show. See, I was going to give Seinfeld credit because they never did that thing with different versions, but they did do the clip show. They did a couple of... I hate clip shows. Do you like clip shows? It's just lazy. And every series that is around... The Office did it at some point. They had a stupid-ass clip show under the guise of something that was actually advancing the storyline when they were trying to sell Dunder Mifflin. It was just... Oh, God. I Look, I can go back and watch the old shows. Give me something new or give me nothing. Well, we could do a PFTM podcast the clip show. Who... who who cares? I am Carl Thomas. Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? All right, you got me. At I'm Slippin' Dre, who wins in a fight? You are Adam. Adam who? Adam, I'm, I'm not familiar with Adam. Adam who? Shefty? Did you miss the story earlier this week? The accidental text that I did not send on purpose to Shefty. It was a true accident. 
First time in nearly 20 years where, and, and, and this was the time, I had a near miss when I was practicing law with a colleague at the law firm I was working at. I almost sent a very derogatory email about the person to the person. And uh, I, I sent a, a, t- a text in jest to somebody else in the media about Shefty and his glasses. That he's starting to look like Morty Seinfeld with those glasses. And Shefty got the text too. I, don't, I still don't know. What scares me is I don't know what misfired in my brain to cause me to send it to Shefty. It's not like Shefty and I communicate on a regular basis. I can't remember the last time I texted him. I don't know why he's even in my phone. And at first I thought maybe he doesn't have the number anymore. I had to do some investigating. I had to contact someone else who has his number to confirm that this just isn't somebody who has that number now. Because I, I had to have gotten the number, I don't know, eight, nine years ago. So, you know what, though? He ain't real big. And I know that... God, I'm getting myself in trouble again. One of those fantasy shows, there was a clip of him doing 30 push-ups. Look, dude, a lot of people can do 30 push-ups, all right? What drives me crazy is when people in the media, and again, this gets back to they make it about them. I don't need to see feats of strength or athletic prowess from people in the media. Look, you're not a professional athlete, and nobody cares how high you can jump. Nobody cares if you can shoot a basketball. Nobody cares if you can catch a football out of a jugs gun. And nobody cares how many push-ups you can do. Nobody cares. Nobody. And when I see that, I think... And Rodney Harrison, to his credit, he's the one that provided that Jiminy Cricket voice that is always in my head. He is the one who will say, it's all about me. It's all about me. Because I'll tell you what, you can say what you want about Rodney as a player, and did he dance on the line? Oh, yes, he did. Did he jump over the line from time to time? Oh, yes, he did. He was trying to do everything he could to help his team win. But in broadcasting, pay attention to Rodney. It's never about him. He never makes it about himself. He never does anything to draw attention to himself. He'll have some controversial opinions, and he will draw attention to himself that way. Not intentionally. But that's one of the great things I've learned from sitting next to him the last eight years. And I value that. I value that friendship. Everybody should get to know Rodney. Rodney is not one of these guys who is trying to make it about him. And just in the same way that he acts as kind of my conscience, I give it to him. Like he was in some ad campaign this year at NFL.com and I took a screenshot all about me. And he thinks that's funny. When it gets turned around on him, he thinks it's funny. So anyway. Uh... All right, let's see what else we got here. I got somebody coming to check my furnace. If you were listening to PFT Live this morning, you knew there was a risk the house was going to blow up during the show, which really would have made for a memorable sign-off. Maybe that's what I need to do. Go out in a blaze of a blown-up furnace. Maybe that's the strategy. Maybe that's the game. I got to go because the furnace guy's coming in five minutes. What else do we have here? At Faisal Morali, if the Seahawks and Rams do play again in the playoffs, who wins? Look, everybody's going to say the Rams because they destroyed the Seahawks a couple of weeks ago and the Seahawks aren't the team that won in L.A. But, man, I'll tell you what, when you're the team that's supposed to win big in the playoffs and you're playing a division rival with playoff experience that is feeling loose, that is supposed to lose, they catch you flat-footed early, man, you could have a problem. i call it a toss-up if they play again. At the Impact 99, will the Patriots draft a quarterback this year with Jimmy G thriving elsewhere? Well, regardless of whether or not he's thriving, they need someone who can develop under Tom Brady and behind Tom Brady. Ideally, bottom around one, get a guy who you have for four years, and you get that fifth-year option. You have him longer. That's the way to go. Oh, and Faisal Morali now tells me my name is pronounced like Basil with an F. So it's Fazel. It's Fazel Morali. Thank you. 
You know, Fazl, if you're going to send that many questions, I guess I should get your name right. I've been saying it wrong. I've been saying Faisal Morali. It is Fazl as in Basil. I hope to remember that when we reconvene. Fazl Morali, and thank you for so many of your questions over the past few weeks. And there's one more from Fazl as in Basil Morali, who's the second best coach right now in the NFL, Pete Carroll. At the Impact 99, is having none of your teammates at your birthday party really that bad of a thing to NFL front offices? Hashtag draft day. Oh, Jeremy, don't ask me draft day. Draft day, the worst football movie ever made other than Leatherheads. At Terry Gensler, oh, here it is. Does John Clayton, is he the one who said, you're better than that PS, sorry, I missed a day. You did miss a day, Terry. That's an opportunity for you to ask the question of who said to me you're better than that. It was not John Clayton. I do have a John Clayton story that isn't great. I'll tell it another day. It's not great, though. I had a mild altercation. It wasn't even an altercation. It was kind of a passive-aggressive thing with him eight, nine years ago. At the Impact 99 of the Falcons setting themselves up for a big year next season. Third in the South gets you a third-place schedule. Here's the thing, though. You really... The difference between first and third place isn't that that big of a deal. You only have two different games. I don't think that makes a huge difference as we see multiple playoff spots come down to one game at the end of the season. At I am to dirt, what team matches up the best with the Vikings in the divisional round? I'd be worried about the Saints if I were the Vikings. The Saints are a very different team than the team the Vikings destroyed back in week one. Very, very different team. At Basil Morale, one more question, then we got to go. Oh, he's... He's asking Terry. Now they're putting Terry Gensler up to asking me who said to me, you're better than that. Basil Morale wants Terry Gensler to ask if Greg Rosenthal is the one who said to me, you're better than that. I'm sure he thought it more than a few times during the years he worked at PFT. And now Terry Gensler responds to Basil Morale by saying doing one a day draws out the suspense. All right. I got to go because I got the furnace guy coming and hopefully we can avoid the house blowing up. That's it for this year's PFT PM podcast. I may do one on Monday. Not sure. I am doing PFT live the full three hours live Tuesday at the latest, maybe Monday, either way around the clock all weekend long at profootballtalk.com. Enjoy the games. We'll have you up to speed on everything that's happening and you know what's going to happen on Sunday. There is no black Monday anymore. We're going to know by the end of the day, Sunday, who's getting fired. We'll have all of the analysis, all of the reaction and everything you need to know at profootballtalk.com. Thanks for some of your time. Have a great weekend. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash.